Book Five, Chapter Five of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Camilla, or A Picture of Youth, by Fanny Burney. Chapter Five: A Sermon. The kind reception of Mrs. Arlberry and all the animation of her discourse were thrown away upon Camilla. An absent smile and a few faint acknowledgments of her goodness were all she could return. Eugenia abandoned when she might have been served, Edgar contemning what he might have been approving. These were the images of her mind, which resisted entrance to all other. Tired of fruitless attempts to amuse her, Mrs. Arlbury, upon their arrival at the grove, conducted her to an apartment prepared for her, and made use of no persuasion that she would leave it before dinner. Camilla, then, too unhappy to fear any injunction, and resigned to whatever she might receive, read the discourse of Mr. Tyrold. For Miss Camilla, Tyrold, it is not my intention to enumerate, my dear Camilla, the many blessings of your situation. Your heart is just and affectionate, and will not forget them. I mean but to place before you your immediate duties, satisfied that the review will ensure their performance. Unused to, because undeserving control, your days to this period have been as gay as your spirits. It is now first that your tranquillity is ruffled, it is now, therefore, that your fortitude has its first debt to pay for its hitherto happy exemption. Those who weigh the calamities of life only by the positive, the substantial, or the irremediable mischiefs which they produce, regard the first sorrows of early youth as too trifling for compassion. They do not enough consider that it is the suffering, not its abstract cause, which demands human commiseration. The man who loses his whole fortune, yet possesses firmness, philosophy, a disdain of ambition, and an accommodation to circumstances, is less an object of contemplative pity than the person who, without one real deprivation, one actual evil, is first, or is suddenly forced to recognise the fallacy of a cherished and darling hope. That its foundation has always been shallow is no mitigation of disappointment to him who had only viewed it in its superstructure. Nor is its downfall less terrible to its visionary elevator, because others have seen it from the beginning as a folly or a chimera. Its dissolution should be estimated, not by its romance in the unimpassioned examination of a rational looker-on, but by its believed promise of felicity to its credulous projector. Is my Camilla in this predicament? Had she wove her own destiny in the speculation of her wishes? Alas, to blame her, I must first forget that delusion, while in force, has all the semblance of reality, and takes the same hold upon the faculties as truth. Nor is it till the spell is broken, till the perversion of reason and error of judgment become willful, that scorn ought to point its finger, or censure its severity. But of this I have no fear. The love of right is implanted indelibly in your nature, and your own peace is as dependent upon mine and as your mother's upon its constant culture. Your conduct hitherto has been committed to yourself. Satisfied with establishing your principles upon the adamantine pillars of religion and conscience, we have not feared leaving you the entire possession of general liberty. Nor do I mean to withdraw it, Though the present state of your affairs, and what for some time past I have painfully observed of your precipitance, oblige me to add partial counsel to standing precept, and exhortation to advice. 
I shall give them, however, with diffidence, fairly acknowledging and blending my own perplexities with yours. The temporal destiny of woman is enwrapped in still more impenetrable obscurity than that of man. She begins her career by being involved in all the worldly accidents of a parent. She continues it by being associated in all that may environ a husband, and the difficulties arising from this doubly appendant state are augmented by the next to impossibility that the first dependence should pave the way for the ultimate. What parent yet has been gifted with the foresight to say, I will educate my daughter for the station to which she shall belong? Let us even suppose that station to be fixed by himself, rarely as the chances of life authorise such a presumption. His daughter all duty, and the partner of his own selection solicitous of the alliance. Is he at all more secure he has provided even for her external welfare? What, in this sublunary existence, is the state from which she shall neither rise nor fall? Who shall say that in a few years, a few months, perhaps less, the situation in which the prosperity of his own views has placed her, may not change for one more humble than he has fitted her for enduring, or more exalted than he has accomplished her for sustaining? The conscience, indeed, of the father is not responsible for events, but the infelicity of the daughter is not less a subject of pity. Again, if none of these outward and obvious vicissitudes occur, the proper education of a female, either for use or for happiness, is still to seek still a problem beyond human solution, since its refinement, or its negligence, can only prove to her a good or an evil, according to the humour of the husband into whose hands she may fall. If fashioned to shine in the great world, he may deem the metropolis all turbulence. If endowed with every resource for retirement, he may think the country distasteful. And though her talents, her acquirements, may in either of these cases be set aside, with an only silent regret of wasted youth and application, the turn of mind which they have induced, the appreciation which they have taught, of time, of pleasure, or of utility, will have nurtured inclinations and opinions not so ductile to new sentiments and employments, and either submission becomes a hardship, or resistance generates dissension. If such are the parental embarrassments, against which neither wisdom nor experience can guard, who should view the filial without sympathy and tenderness? You have been brought up, my child, without any specific expectation. Your mother and myself, mutually deliberating upon the uncertainty of the female fate, determined to educate our girls with as much simplicity as is compatible with instruction, as much docility for various life as may accord with invariable principles, and as much accommodation with the world at large, as may combine with a just distinction of selected society. We hoped, thus, should your lots be elevated, to secure you from either exulting arrogance or bashful insignificance, or should they, as is more probable, be lowly, to instil into your understandings and characters such a portion of intellectual vigour as should make you enter into an humbler scene without debasement, helplessness, or repining. It is now, Camilla, we must demand your exertions in return. Let not these cares, to fit you for the world as you may find it, be utterly annihilated from doing you good, by the uncombated sway of an unavailing, however well-placed, attachment. 
we will not here canvass the equity of that freedom by which women as well as men should be allowed to dispose of their own affections there cannot in nature in theory nor even in common sense be a doubt of their equal right but disquisitions on this point will remain rather curious than important till the speculatist can superinduce to the abstract truth of the position some proof of its practicability meanwhile it is enough for every modest and reasonable young woman to consider that where there are two parties choice can belong only to one of them and then let her call upon all her feelings of delicacy all her notions of propriety to decide since man must choose woman or woman man which should come forward to make the choice which should retire to be chosen a prepossession directed towards a virtuous and deserving object wears in its first approach the appearance of a mere tribute of justice to merit it seems therefore too natural perhaps too generous to be considered either as a folly or a crime it is only its encouragement where it is not reciprocal that can make it incur the first epithet or where it ought not to be reciprocal that can brand it with the second with respect to this last i know of nothing to apprehend with regard to the first i grieve to wound my dearest camilla yet where there has been no subject for complaint there can have been none for expectation struggle then against yourself as you would struggle against an enemy refuse to listen to a wish to dwell even upon a possibility that opens to your present idea of happiness all that in future may be realized probably hangs upon this conflict i mean not to propose to you in the course of a few days to reinstate yourself in the perfect security of a disengaged mind i know too much of the human heart to be ignorant that the acceleration or delay must depend upon circumstance i can only require from you what depends upon yourself a steady and courageous warfare against the new dangerous underminers of your peace and of your fame imprudence and impatience you have champions with which to encounter them that cannot fail of success good sense and delicacy good sense will show you the power of self-conquest and point out its means it will instruct you to curb those unguarded movements which lay you open to the strictures of others it will talk to you of those boundaries which custom forbids your sex to pass and the hazard of any individual attempt to transgress them it will tell you that where allowed only a negative choice it is your own best interest to combat against a positive wish it will bid you by constant occupation vary those thoughts that now take but one direction and multiply those interests which now recognize but one object and it will soon convince you that it is not strength of mind which you want but reflection to obtain a strict and unremitting control over your passions this last word will pain but let it not shock you you have no passions my innocent girl at which you need blush though enough at which i must tremble for in what consists your constraint your forbearance your wish is your guide your impulse is your action alas never yet was mortal created so perfect that every wish was virtuous or every impulse wise does a secret murmur here demand if a discerning predilection is no crime why internally at least may it not be cherished whom can it injure or offend that in the hidden recesses of my own breast i nourish superior preference of superior worth 
This is the question with which every young woman beguiles her fancy. This is the common but seductive opiate with which inclination lulls reason. The answer may be safely comprised in a brief appeal to her own breast. I do not desire her to be insensible to merit. I do not even demand that she should confine her social affections to her own sex, since the most innocent esteem is equally compatible, though not equally general with ours. I require of her simply that in her secret hours, when pride has no dominion, and disguise would answer no purpose, she will answer herself this question. Could I calmly hear that this elect of my heart was united to another? Were I to be informed that the indissoluble knot was tied, which annihilates all my own future possibilities, would the news occasion me no affliction? This, and this alone, is the test by which she may judge the danger, or the harmlessness, of her attachment. I have now endeavoured to point out the obligations which you may owe to a good sense. Your obligations to delicacy will be but the consequence. Delicacy is an attribute so peculiarly feminine, that were your reflections less agitated by your feelings, you could delineate more distinctly than myself its appropriate laws, its minute exactions, its sensitive refinements. Here, therefore, I seek but to bring back to your memory what livelier sensations have inadvertently driven from it. You may imagine, in the innocency of your heart, that what you would rather perish than utter can never, since untold, be suspected, and at present I am equally sanguine in believing no surmise to have been conceived where most it would shock you. Yet, credit me when I assure you that you can make no greater mistake than to suppose that you have any security beyond what sedulously you must earn by the most indefatigable vigilance. There are so many ways of communication independent of speech, that silence is but one point in the ordinances of discretion. You have nothing, in so modest a character, to apprehend from vanity or presumption. You may easily, therefore, continue the guardian of your own dignity, but you must keep in mind that our perceptions want but little quickening to discern what may flatter them, and it is mutual to either sex to be to no gratification so alive as to that of a conscious ascendance over the other. Nevertheless, the female who, upon the softening blandishment of an undisguised prepossession, builds her expectation of its reciprocity, is, in common, most cruelly deceived. It is not that she has failed to awaken tenderness, but it has been tenderness without respect nor yet that the person thus elated has been insensible to flattery, but it has been a flattery to raise himself, not its exciter, in his esteem. The partiality which we feel inspires diffidence. That which we create has a contrary effect. A certainty of success in many destroys, in all weakens its charm, the bashful accepted to whom it gives courage, and the indolent to whom it saves trouble. Carefully, then, beyond all other care, shut up every avenue by which a secret which should die untold can further escape you. Avoid every species of particularity. Neither shun nor seek any intercourse apparently, and in such meetings as general prudence may render necessary, or as accident may make inevitable, endeavour to behave with the same open esteem as in your days of unconsciousness. 
the least unusual attention would not be more suspicious to the world than the least undue reserve to the subject of our discussion. Coldness, or distance, can only be imputed to resentment, and resentment, since you have received no offence, how should it be investigated, could you vindicate? Or how should it be passed in silence, secure from being attributed to pique and disappointment? There is also another motive, important to us all, which calls for the most rigid circumspection. The person in question is not merely amiable, he is also rich. Mankind at large, therefore, would not give merely to a sense of excellence any obvious predilection. This hint will, I know, powerfully operate upon your disinterested spirit. Never from personal experience may you gather how far from soothing, how wide from honourable, is the species of compassion ordinarily diffused by the discovery of an unreturned female regard. That it should be felt unsought may be considered as a mark of discerning sensibility, but that it should be betrayed, uncalled for, is commonly, however ungenerously, imagined rather to indicate ungoverned passions than refined selection. This is often both cruel and unjust. Yet, let me ask, is the world a proper confidant for such a secret? Can the woman who has permitted it to go abroad reasonably demand that consideration and respect from the community in which she has been wanting to herself? To me, it would be unnecessary to observe that her indiscretion may have been the effect of an inadvertence which owes its origin to artlessness, not to forwardness. She is judged by those who, hardened in the ways of men, accustom themselves to trace in evil every motive to action, or by those who, preferring ridicule to humanity, seek rather to amuse themselves wittily with her susceptibility than to feel for its innocence and simplicity. In a state of utter constraint, to appear natural is, however, an effort too difficult to be long sustained, and neither precept, example, nor disposition have ensured my poor child to the performance of any studied part. Discriminate, nevertheless, between hypocrisy and discretion. The first is a vice, the second a conciliation to virtue. It is the bond which keeps society from disunion, the veil that shades our weakness from exposure, giving time for that interior correction which the publication of our infirmities would else, with respect to mankind, make of no avail. It were better, no doubt, worthier, nobler, to meet the scrutiny of our fellow-creatures by consent, as we encounter perforce the all-viewing eye of our Creator. But, since for this we are not sufficiently without blemish, we must allow to our unstable virtues all the encouragement that can prop them. The event of discovered faults is more frequently callousness than amendment, and propriety of example is as much a duty to our fellow-creatures as purity of intention is a debt to ourselves. To delicacy, in fine, your present exertions will owe their future recompense, be your ultimate lot in life what it may. Should you, in the course of time, belong to another, you will be shielded from the regret that a former attachment has been published, or should you continue mistress of yourself, from a blush that the world is acquainted, it was not by your choice. I shall now conclude this little discourse by calling upon you to annex to whatever I have offered you of precept the constant remembrance of your mother, for example. In our joint names, therefore, I adjure you, my dearest Camilla, 
not to embitter the present innocence of your suffering by imprudence that may attach it to censure, nor by indulgence that may make it fasten upon your vitals. Imprudence cannot but end in the demolition of that dignified equanimity and modest propriety which we wish to be uniformly remarked as the attributes of your character, and indulgence, by fixing, may envenom a dart that as yet may be gently withdrawn from a wound which kindness may heal and time may close, but which, if neglected, may wear away in corroding disturbance all your life's comfort to yourself and all its social purposes to your friends and to the world. Augustus Tyrold End of chapter 5 Recording by Adrian Wheel